and I'm going to tell you all about it in just a minute, but let me pray. Let's just take a moment, prepare our hearts for the word, and, uh, and then we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, we, we reach out to you today with open hearts. We ask, Lord, that you make your presence known in our midst. We thank you that you're here even now. We thank you for the grace and the mercy that you extended to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the love of your people uh, here in this room that uh, has extended out to all corners of our community, all corners of our city, uh, and, and, and demonstrated um, the love that you gave for us, that sacrificial love. And Father, we ask that your spirit be here today. We ask that our hearts be open uh, to your word. Lord, I pray that I speak in a way that communicates your word clearly. Uh, and I pray that each one here has ears to hear uh, what you have to say to us today. Father, we pray this to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have some friends um, that I was talking to the other day, and there are a couple in their 30s. Uh, they're, they've got good jobs. They've got a nice house. They've got a nice car. They've got Their kids are kind of growing up. The kids are in school. Everything's kind of tracking along pretty well in their life. No big trauma, no big drama, nothing crazy going on. Um, and they've kind of ended a stage where, like, the little kids are real little, and now they're all in school. And this couple has started to turn to one another and ask each other and ask themselves and ask God, what's next for our life? You know, we've kind of ended this season um, uh, 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 of raising little kids, and now we're kind of entering into a new season, and we just, we just Lord, want to know what's next for our life. And you know, it's, it's not as if things are problematic. Their life right now is decent. It's good. There's nothing crazy. It's not like there has to be a, a major change. But in their hearts, they're just wondering, Lord, what's next? So I was talking to them about this. And after I left the conversation, I thought, you know, that question, what's next, is all of our question. It's a question that each of us has at different stages in our life. Whenever a season wraps up in our life and or starts to come to a close, we start to think, okay, what's next for my life? What is the next step? What's the next move for me? What's the, what, is, what does God have next for me? Um, you know, when we, when we meet high school kids, right, when they start getting to be a junior or senior, first question we ask, all right, hey, man, what's next? What do you, what's the plan? Where are you going with this? What are you going to do? Somebody's getting ready to graduate college. That's our question, right? What's next? You meet a couple that have been dating for a while. All their friends and their family, they start going, hey, you know, what's next, right? Um, sometimes what's next is not the right question to ask. You got to get the timing right. You know, like I, uh, a few years ago, my, my, when my wife was pregnant with our third child, um, we were in the, uh, we were at the, doctor's office, and we were in the room where they do the ultrasound. And now, we had had two boys, and I was kind of hoping for a girl. And we're in the room with our, you know, with our third child. She's pregnant with the third child. And the ultrasound technician is doing the, you know, doing the sonogram, ultrasound, and, you know, looks on the screen and says, hey, congratulations, guys. You're having another boy. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's fantastic, you know? All right. Um, And then, um, then it kind of got quiet for a couple seconds, and then I go, hey, babe, would you, like, would you be interested? Like, if we wanted to have another child, like, would it be, like, 
And she's like literally laying on the bed getting an ultrasound. And she's like, would you mind if I got out of the ultrasound bed with this child before we start negotiating for the next child? Right? But my mind was like, hey, you know, what's next? This will be great. But, you know. But I did win, by the way, about 10 days ago. So, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. She's not here today, so I can just riff. I can riff. Um, the reason that we ask this question over and over in our life, God, what's, what's next in, in my career? What's next in my education? What's next in my relationship? What's next in my family life? What's next in my spiritual life? Where, where do you have me going next? The reason that we ask that question is that all of us sense that there's more to life than what, what we have and what we're doing right now. We, we sense that there's more to it. Now, we know we can't go back to the place we used to be. Um, that was awesome, by the way, Bola. Um, and we know that the status quo is not sufficient. We can't stay where we are, even if we wanted to, and most of us don't necessarily want to. But even if we could, and even if it's good, we can't stay where we are, right? We know that life is continuing to move forward. And so we ask this question, what's next? But the problem is that we face obstacles that prevent us sometimes to stepping into what's next. We experience difficulties, roadblocks, obstacles in our path. We experience things like fear, right? Like we want to go into what's next, but what if I blow it? What if I fail? I'm afraid of what might happen. We don't, we're afraid of the unknown. We're, we don't know what's out there, and so we're a little bit afraid, and so that can prevent us from getting into what's next. Or self-doubt. We, we, we don't have the confidence, we don't have the courage to step into what's next. Even if we know what it is, we think, I don't know if I can pull that off. Or we may feel like or think that we have insufficient resources. I don't have enough money, I don't have the right degree, I don't have the right education, I don't look right, I don't talk right, I'm not the right person to step into that next thing. I, don't, I can't step into what's next. Or maybe it's that you don't know what it is. You're willing to step into what's next, but you lack direction. You think, I would like to move on to the next thing. I just, I don't know what it is. So two weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. And Easter, for Christians, is the Super Bowl. I mean, it's the big day. It's when we come together and we celebrate the cosmic power of Jesus, his authority over the universe, his authority over death, hell, and the grave. And we come together and we celebrate it, and it's the biggest Sunday of the year. And we, you know, we wear pastel colors. And it used to be women would wear these elaborate hats. I don't know what happened to that trend. We should bring that back. But anyway, it's like this, it's this day where we just go, man, this is it. This is the apex of the Christian faith. This is where it's all culminating. This is what it's all about. And then right after Easter, a lot of times what happens with Christians is they go, okay, that was awesome. Got the Easter egg hunts, ate a bunch of jelly beans, you know, took my, took my purple shirt to the dry cleaners. You know, it's like, but what's next? Where do, where do we go next? Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're just kind of checking it out, peeking over the fence, uh, this is a really good series for you to be at because we're, we're diving into this question of the Holy Spirit, this topic of the Holy Spirit, which is, which is a topic that is, you know, one of the most important and one of the most controversial topics in Christianity. It's one of those things that people have all kinds of different feelings about and views of uh, depending on, you know, your preconceptions, depending on your background, what you, you know, were raised with. Some people think about the Holy Spirit and go, you know, 
that's that kind of crazy uncle that you don't invite to dinner because you don't know what he's going to do or say, and he's like freaks you out, and he, you know, you think of the Holy Spirit as the thing that runs the, you know, the thrill down your leg, and you know, people are going crazy, and and you're like, I just, I'm a little leery of getting into that part of the Christian faith. For other people, the idea of the Holy Spirit is this very cold, remote, distant, impersonal force that is just kind of like he's tagged on to the end of some songs. We know we reference him, but we don't really know what he is, you know. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer, you're going to get some inside look at what the scriptures. We're just going to open the scriptures and look at what they say about the, the Holy Spirit. And if you are a Christian, then this series is extremely important for you because the Holy Spirit answers your question of what's next. The Holy Spirit is the answer to the question, what's next? Um, I hope that by the end of this series, you will desire an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. My hope, when you look at the scriptures and what it says about the Holy Spirit, he's an advocate, he's uh, a comforter, he's an ally, he's a friend, you know, love, joy, peace, righteousness come out of the Holy Spirit. That's the product of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, my hope is that you, ha- you enter into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. By the end of this, you say, I want the Holy Spirit to fill my life. I want, you know, for the Holy Spirit to be a part of my life. If you could advance that slide, Dawn, the Holy Spirit is your answer to the question, what's next? The question, and this is interesting, when we look back at Easter, the first Easter, Jesus' followers came to him. They had been through the most traumatic emotional roller coaster of their life. They had been with Jesus for three years. He had been preaching about the kingdom of God. He had been healing. He had been saving. He had been feeding people. He had been doing these miraculous works. And they were tracking with him. And this was a, this was a, this was a, he was changing their life. He was transforming them. He was giving them a purpose that they had never, ever imagined for themselves. They were just working folks. And he was saying, look, there's a bigger dream for you. There's a bigger vision for you. You're going to spread my kingdom. You're going to transform the world. You're going to turn upside down. So they had been with him all of this time. And then they saw him arrested and tortured and crucified. And their dreams were dashed. Their hopes were completely obliterated. They were broken and despairing. And they, and, and they were crushed. And then, three days after the crucifixion, we know we talked about this two weeks ago, Jesus rose from the dead. And suddenly, everything was restored for them. They said, we've got it, we've got it all back. He's back. You know, he's alive again. Our dreams are restored. Our passions are restored. Our hopes are restored. And the question, the burning question that they had for Jesus was, Jesus, what's next? What is going to happen now that you're alive? Are you going to become the king of Israel and make us your you know, royal court? Are you going to unite us into an army so that we can drive out the Roman government? Are you going to like, become like King David and you reunite the kingdom of Israel and we'll rule and reign over the earth? Is that what you're going to do, Jesus? They wanted to know what he was going to do next. What's next? And his answer was perplexing and confusing to them because it was completely unexpected. Here's what he said. He said, here's what's next. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You, he said, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria 
and to the ends of the earth. Now, I want to point out two things about this passage. The first is, the question that they were asking is, Jesus, what are you going to do next? Jesus flipped the script and he said, it's not about what I'm going to do next. It's about what you're going to do next. I did what I was supposed to do. I fulfilled my mission. I came, I lived, I restored, I healed, I died, I was buried, I rose again. I'm going to ascend to the Father. My mission is done. Now, my job is to help you be empowered to fulfill your mission. So what's next is what you're going to do because you are going to replace me on the earth. I was here, I'm leaving, and I'm putting it in your hands. I'll be the head, but you guys will be the hands and feet of what I've been doing. You know my mission. You know my words. You know what I've taught you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He'll remind you of what I said, and he will empower you to go out and do what I'm calling you to do. So the first thing he said, you're doing it. The second thing he said is you're not doing it by your own power. You're going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? We, had, we were at IHOP the other day with my family, and we're all having pancakes and hanging out. And I don't know what, why this question came up, but I said to the boys, you know, we had three boys sitting there. I said, boys, who is your hero in life? Who's your hero? So we started with Jameson. So Jameson, my oldest, says, Jesus. And I'm like, all right, you know, you're just saying that because I'm a pastor, but that's cool. So... You know, he's like, Jesus, you know, Jesus heals and Jesus, you know, and does a lot of really great things. And so Jesus is my hero. I'm like, cool, man. That's awesome. And then Lincoln, my middle boy, I said, so who's your hero? I don't know if I'd preface it by saying biblical hero. I don't, I didn't mean to, but anyway, so they said, so Lincoln says, David, David's my hero. And I said, really? Why is that? He said, because he was king and he was really brave and he killed a giant. I'm like, okay, those are good reasons. That's a good, you know. You got your Bible study. You guys are up in the family center learning it all. Good, good. Children's ministry's going well. Okay, good. And I turned to Augustine, who's two, so I'm not even sure he understands this conversation. I said, Augustine, who's your hero? And he goes, me. <laughs> I mean, we just busted out. You know, when you're little, you think you've got it all. I mean, he's the weakest out of the family. But he thinks he's the toughest. He's the thing, you know, he thinks he can do everything on our own. Jesus is saying, hey, look, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to instill my power in you, the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit in you, because you cannot do this on your own. I want you to go, he said, go to Jerusalem, and I want you to pray together and wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, the context of what was happening at that time is they were just a couple days out from what's called the Feast of Pentecost. And Penta means 50th because it was 50 days after Passover. And so Jews from all over the world, all over the world, would come and flock to Jerusalem. Maybe a million people at one time in Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands, at least, flocking to Jerusalem to celebrate. And People are putting garlands and wreaths over their doors and and over their houses. There are parades in the street. People are having music. There's feasts. People are cutting their their barley and their figs and their grapes, and they're bringing them to the temple. And it's just this huge, massive party. In fact, they're even decorating their livestock. They would put garlands and wreaths around the horns of the oxen. They just have this amazing party, but the followers of Jesus are not partaking in the party. They're upstairs in an upper room, 120 of them, praying together and waiting for the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus instructed them to do. And then something happened that was so powerful and so transformative that the effects of it are reverberating throughout the globe 
today among millions and millions and millions of people, including us, all around the globe. And I'm going to read to you the entire, um, not the entire book of Acts, um, but I'm going to read to you the entire passage of what happened in that moment when the Holy Spirit first came um, to Christians. And the reason I want to read this to you is because as we get into the questions of the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does in our life, what does he produce in our life, it's really important to understand his actions because your character is your action, right? What you do is who you are, essentially. The Holy Spirit is, when we look at what he does, then we get to understand who he is, okay? So here's what he does. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, all 120 followers of Jesus. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, I want want you to notice something here. Notice how much emphasis the writer of Acts, who is Luke, puts on the universality of this experience. He just keeps repeating. All these nations were represented. They kept hearing it in their own tongues. They kept hearing it in their own dialogue, dialect. They kept hearing it in their own language. People from all over the world were here. And in case you didn't get it, he gives this sweeping geographic picture of where they're coming from. Africa. Asia, Europe, the Middle East, all over the globe gives this massive list, an extensive and exhaustive list of the entire known world at that time and says they were all there, right? He's emphasizing the universality of this because the very first thing that the Holy Spirit does when he was poured out on the the followers of Jesus is he crushed and decimated the cultural, ethnic, linguistic barriers that had been erected by men and been perpetuated throughout history. The very first thing the Holy Spirit does is crush the barriers that divide us. And he unites us from people all over the world. The Holy Spirit extends across gender, ethnic, national, cultural, geographical, linguistic, and generational lines to unify all people around Christ. The very first action that he takes is to say, this is universal. I'm going to bring in people from all over the world, and you're all going to come together around Christ. You're all going to come together around Christ. I I think that's important for a couple of reasons. Um, We had an event. We hosted, our church hosted an event uh, a couple weeks ago called Civilitas, and it was a, a group of leaders from all over St. Louis, about 50 leaders, pastors from White churches, pastors from black churches, pastors from multi-ethnic churches, 
uh, superintendents of school districts, Normandy School District, Ferguson Florissant School District. We had people from U City uh, District. We had um, heads of school of of, of in, independent schools, um, private schools coming with public schools. All of these people, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Native American, all these people together up in the family center. And the, the question was, how do we as brothers and sisters in Christ from all different walks of life begin to break down the barriers that divide people in St. Louis? How do we crush those barriers? Because we believe that the power of the Holy Spirit, the first action of the Holy Spirit, is to break down barriers between people and unite them around the love of Christ. It was amazing, man. It was amazing to have that many people in the room all united around one thing because we believe that God's mission primary mission is to bring all people together around Jesus, no matter where they come from. So I want, I want you to notice two things about this, what this universality speaks to. Number one, it, it, it speaks to the fact that he's for everybody, right? So when we extend our love as a church, when we reach out to people, we reach out to everybody. What if we don't like them? Everybody. What if we don't agree with them? Everybody. What if they get on our nerves? Everybody. What if they're jerks? Everybody, you know, we had special people here that handle jerks and they're going to show the love of Christ. Yeah. So, so, you know, we're going to reach out to everybody with the love of Christ. The second thing that I think is powerful about that first introduction of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit will come and meet you where you are. Notice how many times they said in our own language, in our own dialect, I come from Cyrene and, 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 you know, and he, and I hear, I hear my language. I come from Libya or I come from Rome and I hear my language, right? So, all of these, it could have gone the other way. The Holy Spirit could have made everybody understand Hebrew, right? He could have said, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to pour out my spirit and all of your ears will be open to Hebrew. He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to have my fo- followers speak your language. Whenever you see Jesus in the Bible reaching out to people and saying, follow me, you know what you can s- anticipate in the next verse? He's going to be hanging out where they live. When he met Nicodemus, he said, follow me. And then the cut to next scene, he's at Nicodemus' house having dinner. He's going to be down by the Sea of Galilee where the guys are pulling in the boats and the nets and the fish. He's going to come and meet you where you are. So if you're here today and you go, look, I'm, I'm, this isn't for me because he, he can't really, you know, I'm, I can't go there. I'm not cleaned up. I'm not ready to go. I'm not wholesome. I'm not good, right? Jesus is coming to meet you where you are. The Holy Spirit is coming to meet you where you are. I don't, my children don't have to be all together for me to pick them up and love them, right? You know, it's, when, it's actually when they're crying or when they're upset or when they're mad or when they're frustrated or when they're throwing a temper tantrum or when there's snot coming down their nose or when there's tears coming down their eyes or they got a poopy diaper, that's when they get our attention, right? Unless it's really poopy and then my wife will do it, but I will delegate it because I love them. But no, but the Holy Spirit is reaching out to you where you are. He wants to find you where you are. Two things. Uh, uh, Dr. Tony Evans says this um, about the universality of, uh, of um, the Holy Spirit and what he does. He says, when we got saved, we were baptized into the body of Christ. No matter what our race, gender, or class is, when we come to faith in Jesus, we entered into a new family. Therefore, in the church, he says, black Christians and white Christians are brothers and sisters. We care about what happens to each other because when one part of the body hurts... The whole body, body hurts. So if you're here today and you're on the fence about Jesus because you've seen Christians being divisive and judgmental and bigoted, 
um, what you have not seen are Christians. What you've seen are corpses of Christians that haven't been infilled with the breath of the Holy Spirit to understand that part of their call, in fact, the primary part of their call is to reach beyond themselves and love other people. All right. So, you know, don't don't fall away from Jesus. Don't turn away from Jesus just because some Christians have screwed this thing up entirely. All right. Amen. The second thing that we see the Holy Spirit doing in this passage is that the Holy Spirit emboldens you to overcome your fears and empowers you to step into your purpose. You, if you have, you have sermon notes today, you can follow along with there. It looks like the screen went, went crazy on us. So um, uh, you can just follow along in the notes. The Holy Spirit emboldens you to overcome your fears and empowers you to step into your purpose. A couple weeks ago, you're, you may remember, I, I talked about uh, the Apostle Peter. And uh, after Jesus was taken and arrested, um, he was standing um, uh, in Jerusalem, and somebody called him out and said, hey, wait a minute, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And you remember the story that he, he crumbled under the pressure. He couldn't handle it. He freaked out and said, no, I don't know him, never heard of him, don't know anything about him, I'm not associated, I've got no, no relationship with him whatsoever. He, he, was, he crumbled under the fear. He was afraid. I can't do it. I, you know, and he ran, and he was a coward, and he hid in the back alleys of Jerusalem, and he couldn't bring himself to stand up and say, yes, I know him, and I love him, and I'm with him. He couldn't bring himself to do that. He was afraid, right? But here we see in, uh, on the day of Pentecost when this is happening and the, the, the Spirit is being poured out and people are learning about the great and mighty works of God, we see that a number of people there were critical. And they even started mocking the Christians and saying, look, these guys are drunk. They're crazy. This is insane. You know, ignore these people, right? And guess who stood up in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the criticism, in the midst of the mocking, in the midst of the laughter? The Scripture says it was Peter. Peter stood up in the midst of them and began to preach. He says he lifted up his voice and he addressed them. He says, this is what will be, uh, this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. He said, in the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and on my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Peter stands up and gives this radical message, this message that breaks down gender norms, socioeconomic norms, cultural norms, you know, uh, uh, ethnic norms. And he says, I am, the Holy Spirit is coming, and he's, and he's declaring this with power and with boldness and with confidence. So what changed? What changed is he was infilled with the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work that God had designed him to do. Jesus had told him, you know, months earlier, you're my guy. I'm going to use you to, to build my kingdom. And he couldn't do it on his own. But when the Holy Spirit filled his life, he had the power and the boldness and the confidence to step out and do what God called him to do. If you're one of those folks today who is in that category of I can't step into what's next because I'm afraid and I lack the confidence and I lack the resources. Let me just tell you, God is not a God of scarcity. He's a God of abundance. He's a God of strength. He'll infill you with courage. He'll infill you with power. He'll infill you with confidence so you can step out and do the thing that he's called you to do. I had a friend when I was working at a, at a, at a job, when I was a, an attorney, I was, we were getting ready to plant U City Family Church, and I was nervous and I was afraid because everything that I had done, I had always tried to do on my own power. 
And I just didn't think that I could do this on my own power. I was smart enough to know that I couldn't, actually. And a friend of mine was there, and he was a lawyer, and I was telling him about what I was planning to do, and I was nervous, and he could tell. And In fact, I was so nervous. I was so scared that when I would talk about it, my throat would get so tight. It was like there was ice in my throat. I was afraid. I knew what God had called me to do, but I'd be riding on the metro going, oh, man, I mean, like, I can't do it. Like, I just felt terrified by the prospect of leaving this job and planting a church, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, haven't got an MDiv, don't, you know, I'll get up there. And I used to have recurring nightmares that I would come to, to church and there would be a big crowd and I would stand up and I'd take the mic and I would go completely blank and I would have nothing to say. I was terrified, man. And this guy, who's a friend of mine, said to me, he said, Brent, and he might have got this off a of bumper sticker, so, you know, I don't know, but it, it, it worked in the moment. He said, Brent, when God gives you the vision, he will always give you the provision. When he puts and instills his purpose in your life, he's going to make sure that you're equipped and empowered to fulfill it. That's just what he does. And I'm like, you know, that stuck with me. That should be a bumper sticker if it's not. Because that stuck with me. And, I, and to this day, that rings in my ears over and over and over. When we're getting ready to step out and do something, if God has called you to do it, he's going to provide what you need to do it. In fact, if you... If, you're, if you can do your mission on your own, your mission isn't big enough. You need to choose a bigger mission because we're not called to do what's natural. We're called to do what's beyond natural, what's supernatural. You know, when people say, hey, you know, uh, racial divisions and ethnic divisions, that's just natural, right? Well, there are a lot of things that are natural. Hate is natural. Injustice is natural. Anger is natural. Murder is natural. A lot of things that are natural. We're not called here to live out a natural life. We're called here to live out a supernatural life. We're called here to to live out the purpose that God has for us by the power of his spirit. Peter got up, preached with such boldness. It was a barn burner. He preached the gospel. He said, look, man, you guys, Jesus was here. He was the son of God. You didn't recognize him. You killed him. And, and he, still wants to, he still wants to be in your life. He loves you. Come and find Jesus, right? I mean, he gave the, the, the straight up gospel message and thousands of people came uh, to become believers on that day. In fact, the scripture says, those who received his word were baptized which is what we're going to do in just a few weeks. And there were added about 3,000 that day. 3,000 people said, I'm in. I'm going to follow him. I want to seek him. Why? Because when the spirit is moving, people's hearts are changed. He ignites our hearts. He empowers our hearts. He purifies our hearts. He comes into our lives. And we're willing to step into what God has for us when the spirit is at work within us. And this is one thing I love about this. You think about this. All those 3,000 people, they went back to Pamphylia and Perigia and wherever they came from. And they started declaring the message back there. And listen to this. I love this. Every single person that is in this auditorium today, every single person is here as a result of that sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Had he not preached that message, we wouldn't be here. And every single one of us here is a direct descendant of that sermon that he preached. Think about it. Somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody, and you're here because of that, right? Who are you going to tell, right? Where are you going to go with this? Um, Amen. 
Final, final part of, of the sermon is that the Holy Spirit seeks you, saves you, and sends you. The Holy Spirit seeks you, saves you, and sends you. You are not on this earth to simply pass the time. You're not here to maintain the status quo. You are here to fulfill the purpose of God in every aspect of your life. You may be a, a, a mom. You may be a CEO. You may be a, a store clerk. You may be a business owner. You may be a teacher. You may be a, a, an IT consultant. You may be a, a, a professor. You may be a student. But your role, those, those are the details of your life. Your role is to reach out with the love of Christ and bring honor and glory to God through everything you do. No matter what field you're in, no matter what aspect of life you're in, no matter what season of life you're in, your goal is that you're empowered to become empowered by the Holy Spirit to reach out and shine God's love to every single person that you meet. Every single human being that you meet. That's your job in life. That's your calling. Now, I'm going to close with this. Tomiko, if you want to come and play. Some of you will say, you know what, I'm, I, I get this. This is a great story. Love the story exciting, very cool, but I'm really far away from this. Like, I am just, I'm just really just not even close to all of this power and purpose and plan and all this stuff that you're talking about. I'm just really far away. When Peter was preaching, he started quoting from a prophet named Joel. And he said, this is the promise that Joel was talking about. This Holy Spirit is the, is the promise that Joel had been talking about thousands of years earlier. And then he said, the promise is for you and it's for your children. And he says, and it's for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. It's for all who are far off. If you're here today and you're saying, I'm far off. I'm far away from this. This isn't, even if I'm a Christian, man, I'm not ready to be a, you know, bold proclaimer of the gospel at work. I mean, I'm not ready to share the love of Christ with those people or those people, right? I'm not ready to do that. The Holy Spirit is for you. In fact, when Jesus tells a story about how far off he's talking about, he tells the story of the prodigal son. And, you know, I tell this story probably once every couple of months. I love this story. Because the scripture says that when the father, you know, the son had gone off and wine, women, and song, man, just blown it, just gone crazy, doing his thing. And got hit bottom and said, you know what, I'll just go back and be a servant for my dad. I can't be a son anymore. I'm blown it. I'm dirty. I'm rotten. Can't, can't do it. Scripture says that when the father saw the son from far off, father ran out to meet him ran out to meet him couldn't you know he didn't know what the son's heart was he didn't know if the son was ready to you know embrace he just saw the son far off he said i'm coming out to get you put his arms around him put his robe around his neck put his ring on his finger you're my son bring you in right jesus is saying look this is for you this is for you the power of my spirit my comfort my peace my joy my love is for you it's for you. It's for you. I'm for you. I'm coming after you. I want to bring hope and joy and restore love and peace and harmony and grace in your life. I'm coming after you. So what's next? What's next is, if you don't know God, then know God. 
come to know God here. Open your heart and say, God, I just, Lord, come into my life. I need you. I can't, I can't live without you. I need you in my life. Lord, I open my heart to you. Christ, come in. Come in. If you're, if you're there, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you say, I've, I've already committed to that. I believe in Jesus, and I'm, and I'm willing to, to follow him. Discover your purpose. Discover what God has for you to do in particular. What does God want you? Where does he want to, to push you to move forward in his mission and in his purpose, right? You can come to our growth track and begin to work through that. Discover your purpose. Pray. Read the scripture. Ask God, God, where do you want me to go with this? What's next, right? What's next? If you're doing that, share the journey. Get together with other believers. Get into a life group. Get around other brothers and sisters and start rubbing shoulders with people who are going to help encourage you and walk you through this process and walk you down the road. Share the journey with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And number four, make a difference. Serve. Live it out. Get involved. Serve on some team at our church or some other church. Get involved. Start pouring your life out to others. Reach out. Get involved in one of our, our outside activities where we're reaching out to the community. Get engaged. Get involved. Make a difference. What would our city look like if our church became a genuinely, and other churches, genuinely became spirit-led churches where we're saying, Spirit, Holy Spirit, take us and lead us, right? Let us, not, not the crazy stuff, let us be filled with your presence so that love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience pours out of us like a river. Like a, living, like a living spring that bubbles up out of us and just pours out of us. What if our city looked like that? What if we all started saying, I want to I I follow you, Jesus. I want to pursue you. What barriers would we break down? What fears would we overcome? What purposes would we fulfill if we all open our hearts and said, Holy Spirit, we want you to tell us what next. Amen. Let's pray.